Today, we gather to look into a text of Scripture that points our attention to an important aspect. The aspect is prayer. If you have been here in our services, you know that I have been in a series on selfishness or the sin of selfishness. And today we're going to look at the topic that selfishness renders our prayers ineffective. I think if we were to ask the question this morning about our prayer life, how many of us would want an ineffective prayer life? Probably no hand would go up. We all want that effectiveness in prayer. And so I want to talk to you about that today. And in line with the series, I just want to talk to you for a few minutes about the sin of selfishness and how it affects our prayer life. How many of you know it's a bad day when the pastor forgets to bring a Bible to the podium? Anybody, anybody know? It's, would somebody help me out here? Could I have a Bible, please? I need a Bible. I'm going to read some scripture. There should be one in a, in a seat here somewhere. Thank you so much. Now, that's reminiscent for me. Did I ever tell you the story about what I did to my father one time? Ever tell you that story? So he was pastoring a small church in Watsika, Illinois. How many of you know where Watsika, Illinois is? Anybody know where that is? Oh, you do. I'm not even going to ask how, but anyway. Uh, small town, 5,600 people uh, lived in Watsika at the time that I was there with my parents. I don't know why anybody would move there, so I'm sure the number is much lower now. But anyway, my father pastored a church in Watsika, the First Baptist Church, on Cemetery Road. How many of you know that's an interesting name, right? So Cemetery Road, and the church slogan was this, the living church on Cemetery Road, stop here before you stop there. And at the end of the road was the cemetery. That's why it was called Cemetery Road. So one day my father uh, had prepared to preach uh, diligently, and uh, he had made the mistake uh, of letting me find out that he had left his Bible and his sermon notes in the pulpit. And now remember, I did this once, okay? So that'll, that'll let you know how this ends. But I, I go up to the uh, pulpit and I decide to play a joke on him and I grabbed his Bible and his sermon outline and I just took it with me down to like the second or third row where I was sitting for the service and I just held on to it just to see what would happen. And uh, I know it's terrible. I just, I just couldn't resist though. So uh, I did that once and oh boy, he was looking all over the place. I think he left the platform a couple of times to go back to his office to try to find the the Bible and his notes, and I think the third time he was getting ready, he saw me grinning, and he came down to where I was and uh, retrieved it, uh, the, the sermon and, and, and the Bible. And needless to say, I only did that one time. <laughs> so I had that flashback as I was up here without a Bible. So, Dad, if you're watching today, I just got paid back, okay, so... <laughs> Would you join me in James chapter 4, please? James chapter 4. The sin of selfishness, and it really does affect our prayer life. In fact, James 4 talks about this. And so I just want to uh, spend the time today developing this theme so that we avoid this sin in this way. James chapter 4, find verse 1 with me, please. 
What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask, you pray, and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your evil desires. Adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy? Or do you think it's without reason, the scripture says, that the spirit who lives in us yearns jealousy? But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, double-minded people. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Your laughter must change to mourning and your joy to sorrow. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Can we pause a moment for prayer? Father, thank you for the teaching that is in James chapter 4. Help us to understand it intellectually today. Help it to reach us emotionally in our hearts and help it to transform us practically because it changes the way we are presently living. May all of these things happen for your glory. May all of us be, be pressed toward you today as a result of being here. No matter what our need is. God, I ask for the, for the believer who's been saved for a very long time that they might take growth steps today. I pray for the new believer who may be struggling in their journey that, that they would grow today. And God, I ask for anyone who may have come here today who doesn't know Jesus yet, who may have questions about Jesus or, or maybe just doesn't even know what to think about Jesus, that you would draw them to yourself, that the, the eyes of their understanding would be open, and that they would see their need for Jesus who loved them so much that he died on the cross to rescue them from their sins. God, accomplish this work today as only you can. In the strong and powerful name of Jesus, amen. Prayer is hindered when we are selfish. Tim Chalice wrote these words. Maybe you've read after Tim. I like a lot of what he has to say. He wrote this. He said, prayer is not just something I do for myself. Prayer is not something I do even primarily for myself. Rather, prayer is something I do for God. My focus in prayer is not to be on me, but on God. My focus is not to be on what is important to me, but what is important to God. It may be and should be that these are one and the same. I do hope that I am captivated and stirred by what is of importance to God. Somehow, along this journey of life, and despite reading some very good books on the subject, I have adopted a selfish view of prayer that places me at the middle of the prayer. Instead of focusing on God and His will, my prayers have far too often focused on myself and my will. This has led to far too many prayers that go barely beyond myself. Maybe you find yourself in that statement by Tim. Maybe you see yourself right there. That's, that's descriptive of 
maybe where you have been or maybe where you are struggling right now. If that's the case, I hope today's study is helpful to you to unlocking the door to selflessness as you pray. And I just want to talk to you about some things. Today, I want to answer some questions. And the first question that I want to pose to you is this. I want you to consider this. I want you to consider the question, is prayer important to you? Are you a person of prayer? Do you spend time with God in prayer? We're going to answer a few more questions about this today, but I want us to focus on this one today because I want us to understand and know that prayer is an important part. Notice that in our text, it's just assumed that these people were praying. And it just goes right into the context of their prayers being focused on themselves instead of focused on God and His will and His desires for them. It should be an assumption that God's people are a praying people and that prayer is extremely important to us. One of the things that always warms my heart and encourages me is when I see people with power who pray. And we've seen some examples of that in in recent day. If you've watched the news, uh, I'll never forget the new uh, Speaker of the House of, of our country, Uh, doing an interview and walking with the cameras and he said to the people who were following him he said now I'm going to show you a place where where you probably have never seen and where most people don't even know exists and until I watched the video clip I had no idea that that place even existed there in the building and so he walks them into the chapel area and he talks about the importance of prayer that is a blessing that is a tremendous blessing I have sat with men and women who serve us as a state in Lansing and prayed with them. Do you know that our legislators in Lansing will gather for pray and for, for prayer and for singing of hymns together and one of them plays the piano and they sing together? Isn't that wonderful? It's a wonderful thing. Of course it is. Prayer is important. I hope it's important to you. Benjamin Franklin put it this way of all people, right? He said, work as if you were to live a hundred years and pray as if you were to die tomorrow. I found that interesting. Pearson put it this way, there has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. Go back to the Great Awakening and even before in other places in this world, and you will see the work and the move of God in reviving the hearts of his people and drawing others to himself for salvation from their sins, and a common element in the roots of all of those things is prayer. Abraham Lincoln put it this way, I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and all that of, and, and that of all about me seem insufficient for that day. I like how Elizabeth Elliot put it in her emphasis on prayer. She said, prayer lays hold of God's plan and becomes the link between his will and its accomplishment on earth. Amazing things happen, and we are given the privilege of being the channel of the Holy Spirit's prayer. I hope prayer is important to you. Secondly, I want to ask this question today. Why do you pray? Why is it that you pray? What do you see the purpose of prayer being? In our text, these people 
had completely confused the real purpose of prayer and substituted it for their own purpose. You see there, he says to them, you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your evil desires. Somehow they had gotten to the place and come to the conclusion that they believed that prayer was for them that they believed that prayer was a way of accomplishing their purposes. That has never been the case and that never will be the case. Prayer is not for us to accomplish our purposes. Prayer is not an opportunity for us to work God and get from Him what we want. There'll be many people that will tell you that today. But that's not the case. In fact, this church was strongly rebuked and reprimanded because they had turned prayer into that kind of an exercise. That's not what prayer is all about. So be careful with it. Analyze your prayer language. Figure out what it is you say when you pray, and that will tell you why you pray. It will reveal what it is that you are up to when you pray. You know, prayer should be communication to God, just like in our other relationships. We should build our relationship with God like we do with others through healthy communication. God invites us into his presence through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We are able to enter into his presence, into his throne room, the scripture says, and come to him talking with him in prayer. We need to be careful that our prayer is guarded and that we are expressing what needs to be expressed. Can I give you four quick things? You may already know these, but they're good to remember and good to apply. These are the things that should make up our praying. First of all, we should adore God when we pray. We ought to come before him focusing on him, who he is and what he has done, and just adore him for who he is. It's interesting when you look at this text, you don't find any of that here. It's all absent. These people were focused on self. They were warring and fighting among themselves, as verse number one reminds us. And they come to God with all of these fleshly desires that needed to be brought into subjection and captivity under Jesus. And they were running wild in their minds and governing their hearts and dictating their lives to the point where they were murdering and coveting, as this passage says. They were fighting and they were at war in verse number two. And they didn't have what they were asking for because they were asking it for the wrong reasons and in the wrong way. And God calls them out. He says, you are being unfaithful to me when you do that. That's verse four adulteresses. He says, you have violated our covenant. You have violated our relationship. You have been unfaithful to me. You have stepped out on me with yourself, and you have elevated yourself above me, and you have committed spiritual adultery. You've become a friend of the world. You're not adoring me. You're adoring yourself. Don't forget adoration. Adoration in our prayer is the thing that allows our heart to be right. It allows our focus to be right, and it paves the way for proper motives. Adore him. Secondly, I'll remind you of the word confession. Confess your sins to him. As you 
as you get to know God and appreciate him for who he is and worship him in adoration, guess what happens? You will then see yourself for who you are. After you have a vision of who God is, you will be able to see yourself for who you are. And who are we? Simply sinners saved by grace. Those who have come to saving faith. Still wrestling every day with the residue of their depravity. How many of you had a test with that this week? Anybody have a test? Would anybody like to share about their test? I always tell you about my test. Anybody want to share about their test? I'm just kidding. But we are all tested this week, right? We all face tests, probably multiple tests, where we had to make a decision on what we were going to do as we wrestled with the residue of our depravity. And probably we lost some of those struggles, and we need to confess some things to God. Build that into your prayer time. Confess your sin. The next word is thanksgiving. Give him thanks. Were you ever generous with someone who never said thank you to you? Does that ever happen? How does that make you feel? Do you like that? Does that, does that make you really want to give them more or do more for them? Probably not. Should you, though? Yeah. <laughs> but you don't want to, right? You really don't want to invest more in that situation. A lack of gratitude doesn't really foster a good relationship. Well, how do you think God, in a, in a human way, feels when we neglect Thanksgiving? Where, where all we do, we see him as our ATM, right? We come to him every time we need something and we withdraw, but we never say thank you. Say thank you. Finally, you could put petition or supplication. We're invited to bring our requests to him, but I don't think our request should be the main thing, right? He's the main thing. He's the reason that we can love. He's the, the purpose of prayer. He's the one that we should adore and worship, not ourselves, not our own desires, and not what we want to happen. We can bring our supplications, though, and we can certainly bring our requests to him. We can bring our cares and leave them with him, as, as Peter reminds us. But don't make prayer about you. Keep it about him. Why do you pray? I hope that certainly we will pray for the right reasons and in the right way, avoiding the sin of selfishness that our text in James 4 reveals. Well, here's a third question. How do we do this, right? How do we keep our prayer life right? Would you join me over in, in 2 Corinthians for just a moment, chapter 10? Can you turn over there or find it with your uh, devices, however you have the scripture this morning? 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. And I, I just want to offer you some practical things here. I want to talk through a few things and how we can do this. How do, we, how do we control our desires and our thoughts, our hearts, our emotions? So that prayer is not just another selfish thing that we do, but rather a thing of humility that God will answer and will use for his glory in a mighty way. How is it? Second Corinthians, I may have said chapter 5. Find chapter 10. I'm sorry, chapter 10. Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. I want to begin reading in verse 1. Second Corinthians 10. Now, I, Paul, make a personal appeal to you by the gentleness and graciousness of Christ. I am humble among you in person, but bold toward you when absent. 
I beg you that when I am present, I will not need to be bold with the confidence by which I plan to challenge certain people who think, I, who think we are behaving in an unspiritual way. For though we live in the body, we do not wage war in an unspiritual way, since the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We abolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus. And we are ready to punish any disobedience once your obedience has been confirmed. Bringing these things into uh, subjection and captivity to the obedience of Jesus. That is the wrestling match that's going on inside of every one of us. That's the wrestling match that is going on inside of every one of us when we come to God in prayer. Am I going to come with humility and a selfless idea and way, or am I just focused on myself and letting my prayers reflect that instead of bringing all my thoughts, all of my desires, my lusts into subjection to the obedience of Christ. So how can we do this? Can I just give you some practical things as to how we can apply 2 Corinthians 10 to our lives and, and keep our desires where they need to be kept in check and in obedience to Jesus? Number one, accept responsibility for your thoughts. You and I are responsible. We can't blame life. We can't blame the people before us. We can't blame the people around us. We have to accept responsibility for our own thoughts. We may have learned to pray in a particular way. It may have been passed down to us generationally, and it may not be exactly the way God wants us to pray, but that is no excuse. Every one of us must accept responsibility for ourselves as we pray in keeping it selfless keeping a focus on God and not of ourselves. We also need to change our minds about this, not just focusing on changing our behavior, but our minds must change. In Romans chapter 12, Paul talks about being renewed in our minds through the Spirit. And then we're allowed and able to prove what's the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. But our minds need to change about this. Look, as we analyze our prayer life, if God makes it clear to us that we are struggling, that we're not being obedient to him, we need to change our thinking and then change our behavior. We also need to think through our problems rather than just reacting to them in everyday life. It really involves us doing a deep dive when it comes to Romans chapter 8 and embracing the reality that God is trying to bring about in our life as we face challenges. How many of us today just absolutely love enduring a difficult challenge? Anybody just love it? No. And what are we conditioned to do with those things in prayer? What do you think? Focus on what? Escaping, right? God, take this pain from me. God, take this disease from me. God, remove me from this difficult situation. Defeat my enemies so they can no longer torture me. Get me out of this. You won't find that in theology. You won't find God teaching us to escape things. Instead, you're going to find language like what he gave to the Apostle Paul. Paul went to him three times and wanted to escape. And what did God say to Paul? My Grace is what, church? 
Is that escapism? No. God rarely allows us to escape. I mean, we could make a long list of things that we're all suffering with today. And if we're focused on getting away from those things or escaping those things, I fear that as a church, we're going to miss why God is allowing those things. The way we check all that is the way we pray about it. Oh, God, allow me to escape from this. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's Romans 8 say? He says, all things work together for what, church? Right? For good. What is the good? Well, he identifies the good later in that same passage. The good that God's doing in and through it is that we've been predestined to become like him. And he is doing his refining and sanctifying work in and through us as, while he's allowing all of these difficulties. Listen, if we spend all of our time escaping things that God allowed into our life and we truly were able to escape them, we would never knew, know what it would be in that moment to become more like him. Right? Think about Job for a minute. Horrible situation physically. Horrible situation with his family. His own wife threw in the towel for crying out loud. And God called him to endure all of that. Not escape, but endure all of that for God's glory. And God continued to read the entire book. He refines Job. He refines Job. He says, you know what? You can take everything that I have, yet will I trust in him. So when you have problems, think through them well. Don't just react to them. Don't focus on yourself. Look, there's nothing wrong with praying for relief. There's nothing wrong with praying for God to heal. But whenever you do that, and whenever you look at that, understand and know that God in those moments may have as his purpose that his people suffer. Suffering is a gift. It's a gift that presses us further and closer to him. It's a gift that refines us. And without it, without that opposition, you're not going to grow, right? It's just not going to happen. It, it's very similar to working out and lifting weights, right? What if you went into the gym and you just wanted to do light stuff and do easy stuff? Would you ever really make any progress? No. No, you wouldn't make any progress at all. What's it take? Well, you've got to lift things that are heavy. You've got to work out to the point where it hurts. And you might feel it two or three days later, right? But that's where the growth comes from. It's the same principle in our lives. Guard your hearts, guard your prayers in those difficult times. Number four, take your disabling thoughts and make them captive through confession to God. Take every thought captive. If you're having thoughts that are getting you off track, causing you to be selfish, rendering your prayers ineffective. Bring them and confess them. Then choose to focus your thoughts on right things. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 reminds us the true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable things are the things that are supposed to be dominating our minds. Think on those things. Think on what God is doing that is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable in my difficult situation. And cooperate with the Spirit's work in refining you. And don't ever forget, it is possible to do this. It is possible. Don't give up the fight. Don't give up the battle. Continue to fight. Continue to meet the challenge. Be selfless. Now, we're going to close. And I want to close with this question. Have you ever considered, in this context, 
what is the most important prayer that you can pray? And let me just say, as, we, as we're going to answer this and close our time, this is a prayer that does take humility. It's a prayer that takes humility, that understands that you need someone else. Does that ever bother you, to think that you need somebody? This is a prayer that takes an ability by God's grace to, to realize a need it's also a prayer that self-reliant people really struggle with. It's a prayer that people who think they can be good enough to earn God's grace really struggle with. Again, self-reliance. I'm talking about the prayer language that's found in Romans 10. Would you join me there in closing today? This is truly a humble prayer. I hope everyone here has embraced this in their life. If you haven't, I want to talk to you, and I mean that. I want to talk to you after this gathering, before you leave this campus. I want to talk to you. I want to answer your questions. I want to engage you about Jesus. Please don't leave here without having this conversation. In Romans chapter 10, we come to a passage of Scripture that is clearly related to the gospel. I want you to go to verse 9 with me. We're going to read a few verses following. This is the most important prayer and confession in prayer that you could ever have. And if you haven't been here before, I invite you here. And I invite you to come and speak with me. I want to help you here. Look at verse 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be saved from your sins. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Now the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, since the same Lord of all is rich to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the most important prayer that you can ever pray. That is a prayer that is rooted in humility because it realizes that it needs Jesus to fix everything wrong in your life. So where do you stand with that? I hope that you have embraced Jesus for who he is, your Savior and Lord who died on the cross, who rose again the third day that you've put your trust in that to save you, to make you secure for eternity, that you're no longer trying to get God's attention by being good because that doesn't work. It's only by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. If you have questions about that, you want to talk about that, don't leave here today without that discussion. We're available to speak with you. I hope that as we have spent our time in the Word today and been reminded of these thoughts that God has certainly drawn you to himself and has shown you what areas in which you need to grow. And maybe you need to begin a relationship with him today through Jesus. We invite you to do just that.